kept going. With Bogan? Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I did as well. Which, honestly, like, it's weird. I feel tossed around by this one. Yeah. Fucking tossed around, because, you know... I fucking love Bogan, like some of my favorite poems ever written by Bogan. And then there are all those poems that you kind of forget about uh. <laughs> between reads. And I was like, oh, yeah, not all of these interest me. But as I kept reading, I was like, I became more interested in the poems that didn't originally. Well, uh, I guess we'll get to spark. this. Yeah, I guess we'll get to this later, but I felt similarly in terms of around the fourth section I texted you about this where like you can you can feel she's searching for something. Like she's searching for something. I I went I went to this it's maybe it's a dumb comparison. I was thinking of like, okay, Picasso's blue period, like all these artists, like you reach a point where you're kind of bored with what you were doing, even though she does every you know, she's fantastic, everything she did is very well constructed, very tight. She's great, but uh, you do reach a point where, like, okay, now what, right? Like it's kind of like you're just searching, for the, okay, and you can kind of see her branching out. You know, like she kind of abandoned abandons meter in her career, not completely, but it's way less frequent than it was in the first couple volumes and all of that. And I was just like, oh yeah, she's searching. And I mean, I love reaching that point when, especially when you're reading like a collected. I guess we should. Uh, go into do our introductions before we get into a discussion here i'm already branching off onto something that would be fun to talk about should tell people what disorganized podcast this is uh this is heavy board and i am sophie wiener and i'm andrew witstat uh and this week's episode we're going over uh louise bugan's the blue estuaries her poems 1923 to 1968 and are these selected so did we find that out are these selected or yeah i mean i think essentially they it, this is like selected and maybe as close as you'll get to um a collected but yeah you it, i mean really it's you know essentially what five six six sections i think the last one is like uncollected like stuff you know they found in her yeah so these are like the new poems (laughs) or like well i think there there's also you know like um if you go back and it's weird it's so rare i feel like that it's not readily available information like i feel like i had to dig more than usual to figure find out um the titles of her previous collections before this one um i think it's her first that you're you can just like download for free as a pdf right you know and many of those poems are in here i was surprised when i was like sort of flipping through that to see a few that had been omitted that i thought like oh these are interesting but you know, whatever. But yeah, I, w- I would describe this as a selected. Yeah. And I guess that last and, section is like, it's not posthumous, right? It was just like... No, I mean, this came out when she was alive. And um, she... Um, I mean, we should probably also mention that, you know, for uh, selected, this is really short, right? 
It's it ends on page one thirty six. We both have the same copy, I'm assuming. I did have to buy a new one. But yeah. Yeah, for our Strauss Duro. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only one you're gonna find. It's like what, twelve bucks on Amazon? Yeah, I don't even think it yeah, I don't even know if it was that much. Yeah, somewhere around there. Um but yeah, really short. So, you know, I mean, you could look at a selected from a lot of other poets who had, you know, equally long careers. It's not like she had some crazy short career as a writer. But I think she was also so much a critic that maybe, you know, she had more of a balance between actually writing poetry and writing prose. Yeah, I've thought about that more recently. I really just in the last couple of days, the last week, where I'm just like, yeah, if you're if you're writing a lot of poetry, well, like that takes a lot of time out of your life. So it's like, you know, if you're doing something like you're a working critic at her level, that takes a lot of time. So even then, you would, I mean, you know, unless you have, I don't know. It's just if you're do- if you're working a whole lot on something, you're not doing something else, right? Like you're not. Yeah, well, and she had a particularly long career um, as the poetry critic at the New Yorker. Yeah, pretty prestigious position. And she was writing, you know, the modern period primarily into the contemporary period. Would you, I don't know that I would, I know that she has been described as a modernist. I'm not convinced that I would describe her that way. I'm I'm not really convinced one way or another. I don't especially care to situate her within a particular movement. Uh, yeah, sometimes that's more limiting, especially when you get ones that don't quite fit any of the movements, uh, you know. Like, what's the, this is always, like, William Carlos Williams, right? Like, people want to call him a modernist because he was writing at the same time, but he's not really, like, cons- like I mean, I guess he is, technically, if we're just I mean, going by. he was by. an imagist. Yeah. Which was, like, considered an offshoot of modernism, I guess, but it never made all that much sense to me, except in terms of its preoccupations. Yeah, and I... And, Maybe that's the thing, too, is as we try to frame things in, like, movements and periods, like, it's just a vague reference thing that helps us talk about, like, larger trends in the art, I guess. So, like, you know, take all that with a grain of salt. Like, if they're going to be, oh, well, this person's definitely in this period. It's like, well, you know, it's not like a set rule. Yeah. Well, I that's, I liked her quote. I don't. I couldn't find the source for this quote. I was looking desperately for it. I didn't Ooh. look for it for very long. Um, but her quote on retiring as the New Yorker critic. Um, what what was it? No more trying not to be a square or to appear a square. <laughs> yeah, no more struggling not to be a square was the end of the... The whole thing is no more pronouncements on lousy verse, no more hidden competition, no more struggling not to be a square. <laughs> and it was the last one that I thought was sort of funny. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, 
you know, was she, would she have thought herself as being sort of like an uncool poet? Well, that's a strange, that's an interesting question because there is that level. We've talked about this a little bit with, in terms of fiction, some of the fiction books we've talked about with like the literary versus pop kind of styles. What are the rules? What makes, what's the cutoff, right? Who blurs that line? How well do you blur that line? And it's like, we don't think about that often for poetry, but the same thing exists, right? Like there's like the New Yorker and then there's, you know, the street, street, well, some people call it street poetry, right? Or like, you know, uh, yeah. Well, and even then, you know, some of the like cool kid poets would have become very highly regarded later on well, that's at what that always time, happens. but poetry was much far. Well, but there was still like, it was, it's, seems i mean you know there was more uh a literary center to the culture overall maybe yeah i just think it might have something more to say i mean i don't know what it's saying exactly but i could theorize that it's like okay once things get to a high-minded level so we talk let's i guess for just for talking about this we'll say like okay academia is like the high-minded highbrow whatever you want to call it uh academic way of looking at poetry and fiction you could say that too but it's like that and then there's like there's always been but i think more so in the 20th century right there was like this kind of just because more people could read printing things was cheaper all that kind of stuff right so we could get kind of like again i hate to use this term but i say street poets like just kind of people that weren't in the ivory tower that were on the outside of it and they're always the ones that push the boundary so it's like okay then they get accepted as 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 part of a movement or part of like an academic study and then you know the cycle continues kind of thing and then new kind of what we would call street poets or non-academically kind of thing poets come and it's well i think you know, even if you look at, like, the traditional versus the experimental, I think, is also... I mean, I would assume that, you know, during that time, there was probably still plenty of, like, high modern influence, interest in, you know, that's a lot of the experimentation that was born out of that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder uh, what she meant by no more struggling not to be a square. <laughs> well, because the reason I was saying that is because there is what we would call kind of like an artistic, almost like cliche that we would put on the street side. And again, that's my, I don't know if, really if there's a different term for that or a better term for that. Yeah, or well, considered like the, the more, or, well, like they're the, 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 the real artists living on the street, you know, starving for their art. Like, yeah, well, I think that is it. Like the starving artist, maybe. Well, that compared to somebody who was employed as the New Yorker poetry critic for like 40 years, yeah. uh, making six figures. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if she was back then, but they probably definitely are now. You just mean like of the institution versus right. not. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's, I mean, so the institution is mainly kind of academia and then like the New York things that kind of flutter around academia. 
But I mean, there is a divide, yeah. right? Like if we're being honest, like there is two levels to this. And I mean, it does run in circles. And usually I would say, I'll, I guess I'll make this statement where it's like, yeah, it usually follows whatever the boundaries that are being pushed on the kind of street level, as I keep calling it. Again, I don't know what else to kind of call the non- The street. You gotta stop calling it the street. <laughs> street poets. Stop fucking uh, calling it that. Street poets, dude. What should we call it? That guy's, I don't know. Non-academic? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The non-ivory tower. Right. Just in the ivory tower versus not. And the like, I mean, but a lot of poets who were not of the ivory tower still, you know, became a part of it. But even then, I mean, you know, if you would characterize, like, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's just academic versus not in terms of not in terms of like the quality of the work but um the environment in which right. that they're born out of which is going to have different like tastes and sensibilities and all of that stuff right going to be 15 to... minutes and I'm talking about street poetry well just like yeah well there are cool kids and then there are squares right yeah, I think that's, I mean, well, in cool kid clubs, you know, we have those in literature. Yeah, I'm saying that's those, sure. I'm saying those are the ones that push the boundary forward and then the cycle goes on. So like the tower then consumes those and brings them up to the tower level, right? Just like accepts them as part yeah. of it. And then, you know, the cycle continues. So then a new group of people that aren't in that kind of tower, ivory tower circle then push the boundaries again and then the all that kind of stuff like it just keeps happening particularly like in the 20th century here yeah i what did you i also you know for someone who is so concerned with you know their struggle to you know not be square i guess uh and i don't know if that that i mean that could apply to her work as a reviewer, probably a bit more, but pro I assume equally to her work as a poet, just because I assume that her taste as a critic was informed by her own taste as a poet, or vice versa, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. I don't really care about that, but, you know, I thought that there was a good bit of range in terms of style which I think is really pleasant and like refreshing, especially when, you know, I think that, you know, there are definitely a lot of contemporary books that show a range of style. Like there are those, but I think there is also a much larger trend of like having a single form that you're working in or having a particular style or like a, a theme that is, so defined from the outset of the project that it is like the book is the project you know it with it, it's treated in many ways like a narrative or um like a single work so you know this is not the kind of collection that you would see um even if this weren't a selected you know 
I feel like you wouldn't find this kind of collection quite as easily. Maybe you would. Maybe I'm just not reading the right ones. I don't know. I mean, that's more getting to like the publishing stuff. So they're only going to publish. I mean, some nonprofit publishers w w care about preserving the text. So they'll publish like a complete just for like preservation's sake. But then most of the time those don't sell, you know? So, I mean, why would a, you know, the incentive just isn't there for a publisher to care so much. Yeah, about, but I just mean know? in terms of, I just mean in terms of how people choose to construct their collections. Uh, I mean, like the poets individually, like how they are constructed around a particular story or theme or idea or whatever it is. And like, that's often true. And that often ends up being true. You know, even if you don't set out with a particular one in mind, because poets have their own obsessions and those tend to stick around for a little bit. Um, Entire careers for some, yeah. Yeah, uh, so those tend to come together, I think, anyway, but I think also... Or at least what a lot of what I, I felt like I was seeing as a graduate student, that's not always true. I mean, you see poets even like, you know, like I wouldn't characterize most of A. Limon's books as being, um, you know, hell-bent on having a particular narrative that carries through or like having a specific character or um, some, you know, just some kind of arc that well if we're talking about Lamone, i mean the only thing would be her first book you know this big fake world that kind of has like a narrative yeah. through yeah that's what i mean so i yeah i mean you see books like this do well but not always and you know they might have something that links them stylistically like really specifically like a particular form or um a particular you know whether that form is already you know a traditional received form or if it is one that was just sort of created. But yeah, I appreciated the range that was presented here in terms of formal versus reverse or, um, you know, or just uh, the way that like she'll have like lyric strangeness. Versus like high and tight kind of logical poems, you know, like the difference between like um, a tale, which is the first poem in the collection, or like some of the shorter poems that are often accompanied by like a tight formal quality. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, that's the benefit. I always say this when we said that we did Keats and all that, like this, the benefit of reading a whole bodies of work as a student of this, you know, student of literature, student of poetry, whatever, student of the craft of writing, it's like, you really do get to see how broad some of the range is for some. And then in the cases like Keats, granted, we didn't have much because he died so young, right? Where we kind of said, well, the range wasn't as broad because we only got like, you know, 15 years of his life and we got 50 years of Bogan here to kind of see much much less of her yeah well yeah less but uh i mean honestly the keats one should have been this length anyway like i guess longer for like some of his big epics but 
Yeah, we all feel that way about many collections of poetry. Mm-hmm. There are very few that are quite so long that I think deserve to be. Uh, she reminded me, Bogan reminds me of Marianne Moore a little bit, really? but with better line breaks. I haven't read much Marianne Moore. Oh, yeah. Her line breaks will piss you off. Probably. <laughs> they most do. I know. But, yeah, uh, my thoughts are just, yeah, these are very well constructed. I guess she doesn't use a whole lot of received form unless you count the sonnet. But she uses um, very... She uses, well, she uses a lot of, like, regular um, rhyme schemes. Yeah, she uses and rhyme schemes a and... good bit of meter. Yeah, I would say particularly the first three sections, almost every poem is metered. Uh, you know, like, clear and crisp stanzas. Yeah, that's right. my, my first note, and all of this was just, like, very tight and well-constructed. Nothing's out of place. Uh, everything's purposeful. The meter's perfect, uh, consistently, like, throughout. Uh, but then, yeah, I guess we'll get to this. So we talked about it a little already, yeah, and then you get to see the kind of growth... What the like those later sections? She's I think you can really tell she's looking for something. She's trying to push the boundaries, uh, if not just of her own work, but just like yeah, like maybe the genre in general, the craft, all of that. And that's when you do see her going away from some of that meter. But yeah, overall, I mean, this is the second time I've read this book. Uh, I have very little bad to say about Bogan and at the same time I'm not a huge fan so I guess it's just all down to taste for me at that point but like I said I have very little negative to say so I don't know what that says about me or the book yeah that actually surprises me because I feel like there's a lot of I mean there are moments where I feel like these poems are smarter than me Really? Where I feel like I still have to really sit with them for a while. But there, I mean, I, I really like Bogan in part for that reason. It has that same quality of Emily Dickinson where you have to go back and reread and it uncovers something new. Um, and it feels like you can go endlessly into the same poem, you know? but without feeling entirely off the rails. There are those for me that feel a little bit too ungrounded, but you know, even um, like one that was sort of new to me in terms of how it stuck with me was Zone. And that's a later poem on 109. Way back there. Yeah. What section is this? Um, isn't it the last? Five. Yeah, I think so. Section six it's is like, like... It's five, yeah. yeah. It's toward the beginning of... It's toward... Yeah, I guess it's... Five is pretty short. It's the segments, short they actually... The sections actually get shorter. Yeah. As you progress through, yeah. We'll keep going, what were you going to say about Zone? 
Yeah, I was curious. I mean, this was one of those poems where I was sort of stuck on it. I mean, this is really the part of the book where she seems like there are a lot of themes of like death and aging. Um, permanence is a theme, I feel like, all the way through. But I feel like death really starts to come into the game in sections maybe four and five or of aging at minimum. But yeah, I was like sort of just struggling with this poem a little bit, I guess. Um, but then it also struck me that I read, when I, every time I read it, I keep taking those first two lines of the second stanza as humorous. Like a ship, we have struck expected latitudes of the universe in March. March capitalized, implying the month. Yeah. But then also, again, this is her brilliance, so it's used in that way, but it's also about, like, okay, you could think of actually physically marching, like the verb. Yeah. So it could be used both ways, but clearly the capital means the month, but, yeah, I mean, that's just her brilliance. I read expected latitudes in March as funny. I don't know if that's to be, like, end of winter, because there's also like a lot of reference to season and time of day, I think, and you know, as as is commonly, you know, done to refer to like time of one's life, whatever. We pass thinking now we hear what we heard last year and bear the wind's rude touch and its ugly sound, equally with so much we have learned how to bear. Yeah. Thinking, now we hear what we heard last year, and bear the wind's rude touch and its ugly sound, equally with so much, we have learned how to bear. Yeah, man. And then her, like, structure with that. What did you ask? Yeah, I'm just like, that was one that I didn't read a ton of times and was still sort of thinking through but I was reading this as a death poem but I couldn't square that with the title which is Zone I will say that her titles uh, could be doing more work in some places again it's one of the few negative things I have to say but yeah Zone yeah I mean yeah so that's like one of my favorites that I'm still working with or that's a new favorite I mean, old favorites, I would say Division is up there. That's an earlier poem. Knowledge is great. The Alchemist. Um, Man Alone is great. And I think March Twilight might be my favorite. And then Night. Night is the title poem for this book. That's where the title comes from. The Blue Estuaries. Well, you just want to go section by section? Yeah. What was I the first I think we thing? should do at least one from each. Yeah. What was the first one you marked? Mine was The Frightened um, Man on page six. Mine will... Well, so, like, I, I always think it's interesting that Medusa is one of her most favorite ones. And, like, I feel like, you know, if you want to, you can always go look at someone else read that. Because it's one of the most famous ones, and it's like the second in the book. But my first one is always the first one in the book, A Tale. Okay. So it's interesting to see that early one. And again, it's like one of those that's like more ambiguous. 
So do you want to just do like one each per section or something? Or just one per section? Uh, it doesn't matter. I had a few. I think there was a section where I didn't mark any poems. Yeah. Section two? Yeah, I think so. I think section two is the one that just didn't do it for me. Let me check the... Well, that's not true. I have one. Come, break with time. Patient yeah, that's a good one. So that was the one I had in section two. And then there were a few lines that I had underlined in section two, but not entire poems. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> well, let's each do one then, or we'll just alternate. Do you want to talk about a tale? Yeah, I mean, this is, like, one of those weird... I mean, it sets itself up as a narrative of some kind. Right? This youth too long has heard the break of waters in a land of change. He goes to see what sons can make from soil more indirect and strange. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, like, a weird one because there's so much where... Uh, not that commonly are we given that many characters. There, They are there. But there's a lot of you and a lot of we. So maybe, I mean, this one I think stands out in that regard. But there are moments of just... Um, like you can see the nuggets of, of like time, of concerns with time and nature and permanence. He cuts what holds his days together and shuts him in as lock on lock. The arrowed vein announcing weather, the tripping racket of a clock. So, again, nature, time. Seeking, I think, a light that waits, <coughs> still as a lamp upon a shelf. So, again, a, a light that waits, a light that's permanent. Where no sea leaps upon itself like waves so like something still but he will find that nothing dares to be more enduring save where south of hidden deserts torn fire glares on beauty with a rusted mouth where something dreadful and another look quietly upon each other I mean like that's just fucking great <laughs> yeah there's like such a quality of strangeness in this one that I think you see throughout this whole collection, um, but maybe not in such a sort of fantastical feeling way, like not as quite as otherworldly seeming as this poem. So in that, it just sort of stood out as a little bit different to me. Yeah, and I guess this is, again is about the loss or about the discovery of um, youth realizing the awful awfulness of the world, right? Or maybe we could argue youthfulness coming to of age, understanding, right? Seeking, I think, a light like, as yes. that waits, still as a lamp upon a shelf, right? So something that doesn't exist, uh, a land with hills like rocky gates where no sea leaps upon itself, right? So something that doesn't exist, but he will find that nothing dares. Something unchanging. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Right. Right coming to terms with the fact that yeah we have little control we have little idea where something dreadful and another look quietly upon each other i mean yeah right kind of coming to terms with this right 
Yeah. Torn fire glares on beauty with a rusted mouth. Yeah, comma, then M dash. Yeah, some of the punctuation. At first, I thought the M dash was a note that I had started to make, and then I was like, nope, that's really there. Yeah. But there were a couple of places that I was like concerned with the comma usage. Like where she's clearly using it for pause, but not where it's necessary. And so like it, it almost hindered the reading for me, but whatever. I mean, the poem was other the poems were otherwise still good. I would have to look to figure out which one. Well, I guess in this one specifically, a tale the way it's used for listeners, uh, there are two instances in the third and fourth stanza where uh, it's a comma and then an M dash. So it's kind of, you could argue, I guess that's redundant, but technically, I mean, it's grammatically correct if you're using the two. Uh, it's not like it's wrong. It's just, okay. And I don't know if this is just because, you know, this was kind of a, written in the 20s <laughs> like you know like we were i mean we always talk about this but yeah i mean language is ever evolving right that's kind of a cliche by now we know most people you should understand this if you're a reader lover of books and writing etc but yeah so it could just be like um we didn't know quite how to use the m dash just yet uh to our advantage as much but i mean it is working in terms of like it's using to change subjects like it would in a sentence you could argue the comma does the same thing i think but uh or even to extend a pause right that's what i mean so it's using the break and a comma and an m dash because they're both at the end of the line but so that first instance yeah seeking i think a light that waits still as a lamp upon a shelf comma m dash a land with hills like rocky gates where no sea leaps upon itself so it is kind of like an extended pause, but we're also changing. So she's given us an example and then another example. It's kind of used the same way in the in the in the uh, penultimate stanza there. So that fourth stanza as well. And then you could probably hear the rhyme scheme, listeners. I mean, she's just a very articulate, very rigid rhyme scheme that works on almost on pretty much every level. I would say, like I said, I have very little structurally there was very little i could say negatively about this i think it's she's a structural stickler maybe just you know perfectionist and it shows like you can yeah, see I mean, it. if you look at pictures of bogan she looks like a fucking stickler dude uh yeah we have i guess we're gonna get into her uh banging roth key uh yeah. but uh well, i guess we'll imagine, see imagine what she looked like taking a shit uh, <laughs> I wonder what her shits were like. Yeah, I couldn't I find how those were. I couldn't find like a picture of her that when she was young. I could only find like middle aged and older Bogan. I couldn't find like young twenty thirties uh Bogan pictures. Yeah, I'll work on that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but she uses the same punctuation again, the frightened man. Yeah, yeah, that was the first one I marked. That was same thing in only one instance of that, but yeah. And I didn't, I, I guess I should have paid closer attention to this. I guess we'll, the ones when we go through the sections, we'll notice, see if she keeps using that. Uh, I already saw one in Division. 
where the the comma disappears and the m dash is used more like contemporarily but then the poem right next to that in cassandra on page 33 she's doing it the same way with a comma then m dash so it might just be a stylistic thing i'm not well read enough in this time period uh as much as it embarrasses me to admit and even yeah on page eight she also has the uh just the m dash without a comma so i guess it's purposely there it's deliberate then i mean i guess we, you know we should always assume that but yeah. yeah all right yeah the frightened man on page six that was the first one i marked that just stood out to me and i guess i should say uh okay so Sefi just sent me a picture of young bogan uh she's kind of hot yeah i was gonna say very very classic classic beauty those pearls she's always fucking wearing pearls yeah. in all the pictures yeah Strong jaw and chin, all that. Yeah. Yeah, she was a hottie. Uh, I don't even know what Rocky looked like. Was he ugly? Was he like a butt uh, ugly? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right, we'll get to that. Yeah, the frightened man, uh, in fear of the rich mouth, I kissed the thin. Even that was a trap to snare me in. Even she, so long, the frail, the scentless, it became strong and proves relentless. Oh, forget her praise and how I sought her through a hazardous maze by shafted water. Yeah. Fucking great. In the fear of the rich mouth, I kissed the thin. Comma M dash. This is page six for listeners. Yeah. yeah. Just fucking great. <laughs> the frightened man. Yeah, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of romance and passion and like romantic betrayal. Such is life. But yeah, I mean and we think that we go from that. So this is one where I think the title's doing a lot of work. It's giving us the entire setup, right? Like the frightened man. And then we just get three little tiny stanzas here, all perfectly, uh, you know, um, rhymed and metered through. Oh, forget her praise and how I sought her <laughs> through a hazardous maze by shafted water. Yeah. That's, a... Yeah, again, like, funny. A little sarcasm. And in this one with the M dash, a, a little bitchy. Yeah, but it's also I very, like, which it's I also, enjoy. also very accurate. She's kind of describing like the 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 fear that men have, particularly young men, of women, right? Mm. But yeah, Rothke yeah. was not a looker, so if he just sent a photo. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the most attractive picture I can find. Yeah, he was a chunky baldy. Like that's. Uh, like so I'm questioning how accurate that one is <laughs> we have to give everybody their fair share dude you gotta look at them when most people are yeah. in their prime if that's the best we got it's the best we got man. I guess most poets are not known for being good looking I mean yeah some were some yeah not this guy yeah, I guess I don't have much to say about it like I said I have very little negative to say Oof, that's old Rothke. Yeah. God damn, Sophie sent old Rothke. Yeah. He looks like shit. Yeah. Oof. 
I don't have much more to say about it, just that, yeah, I think it does. This one where the title, everything works. This was the first one I saw. I was like, all right, page six, everything works. There's no... Yeah, I think there are actually a lot of poems like that early on. <coughs> They're like these tight little... These tight little cuties, you know? Yeah. Like one song. When beauty breaks and falls asunder, I feel no grief for it, but wonder. When love, like a frail shell, lies broken... I keep no chip of it for token. I never had a man for friend who did not know that love must end. I never had a girl for lover who could discern when love was over. What the what, what the wise doubt the fool believes. Who is it then that love deceives? One song. Is there significance to that name? Significance? No, not that I could figure out, no. Yeah. I wonder if it's just somebody Although she was... Uh... It's a... Yeah, it might just be for somebody. She was bad. Yeah, or maybe it's... I don't know, because it's a male name. Yeah, could just be a random name. Yeah. It makes me think, though, that the speaker then is... Like, the speaker could be just, like, intended to be this one. Like some kind of Don Juan. Okay, yeah, so the play on that. Yeah, okay, I didn't even think about that. Right. Again, man, like I said, I have very little negative to say. Uh, but then I, I, I just, I don't know. I think I just don't like poetry right now. I'm going through a moment. Yeah. <laughs> we know you don't like poetry right now yeah. I mean I just like the logic of this poem you know I'm always drawn to that with the wise doubt the fool believes who is it then that love deceives men can tell that love must end so why enter it at all and women never know when love is over and thus are I guess fooled by it it's an interesting theme too. This kind of dynamic, specifically of love between men and women. Uh, I guess it's a reoccurring theme that comes up in a lot of her work. I mean, you know, this is very. I mean, this is the human dance, right? Like, love is the ultimate kind of thing that you have to deal with in life, or that gives us some type of fulfillment or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in the next poem over on the next page <laughs> you know I, I, we don't have to read the whole thing but just to give a sense it's called portrait and it ends with the lines um, what she has gathered and what lost she will not find to lose again she is possessed by time who once was loved by men <sighs> So there's also, you know, uh, like certainly a concern with um, beauty here, with one's own beauty and desirability. Aging. Yeah. Possessed by time. Who once was loved by men. Yeah. All that portrait, page 11. Uh, The other ones I marked in the first section... The Alchemist was one I liked. Another short little simple one. 
Very simple rhyme scheme. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, very simple rhyme scheme as well. Memory was the other one, page 18. And I think that might be all that I did in section one that I marked. Yeah, that one I marked. I marked memory too just because of her use of like words like stuff and things. Right. (laughs) Which seems so like. I don't know. It had seemed uncharacteristic to me. Do you want to do memory real quick before we move? Do not guard this this as rich stuff without mark, closed in a cedarn dark. Nor lay it down with tragic masks and greaves, licked by the tongues of leaves. Nor let it be as eggs under wings of helpless, startled things. Nor encompassed by song, nor any glory perverse and transitory rather like shards and straw upon coarse ground of little worth when found rubble and gardens it and stones alike that any spade may strike yeah kind of the uselessness of memory the banality yeah do not regard this as rich stuff without mark yeah (laughs) the very first line of the poem is called memory yeah nor let it be as eggs under the wings of helpless, startled things. Yeah, like, don't protect them. I mean, yeah, it. she's, again, there's that, like, little bit of bitchiness that's always really enjoyable, especially in poems of such that, it, you know, um, really are quite logical. But, yeah, I would say the first... This first um, section is marked by a bit of bitchiness that I really enjoy. And that continues, I would say, but um, a little bit less regularly. Memories just rubble in gardens, it and stones alike, that any spade may strike. Yeah. Fucking bogan. Was there anything else in section one before we move on? No, I don't think we should linger there for too long. What did you want to cover in section two? Because I think I only marked a couple things. Yeah, this one, I actually, I really like this section a lot more than you, I guess. They're the ones that I marked. My favorite one from this section is Division. But that's an old favorite. But I also love, wait, this might be part three. Hang on. I gotta check. I also love I Saw Eternity. That was one I didn't like. Really? Here's a crumb of forever. (laughs) I underlined that last line. This felt felt very... I don't know. There was something about the ending that felt very Dickinson to me. Yeah. I... The note I put here, I underline the last line. Yeah, that's a good line. Here's a crumb of forever. Here's bright everlasting. Here's a crumb of forever. That's great. It's like good line, but the, I just thought there just wasn't enough here. But, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll buy that. I think it's a fun poem. I might agree that there's not a lot there. But yeah, there's some great um, stuff. That's also right before Come Break with Time. Yeah, that was my favorite in this section. Break with time, page 51. Really? You didn't like division? I wasn't, I didn't mark it, but 
I think that's one of the best sounding poems in the book. Long days and changing weather put the shadow upon the door. Up from the ground, the duplicate tree. Oh, wow. There's a fucking enjambment I forgot about. The duplicate tree reflected in shadow. Out from the hole, the single mirrored against the single. The tree and the hour and the shadow no longer mingle. Fly free that burn together. Replica, turn to yourself upon thinnest color and air. Woven in changeless leaves, the burden of the scene is clasped against the eye. Though assailed and undone is the green upon the wall and sky. Time and the tree stand there. Yeah. A lot of concern with shadow, which only becomes more pronounced as we go on, I think. But again, this was like... One of those poems that relies on a lot of logic that I really enjoyed, just in terms of how an image or how a shadow works, you know. Right. And again, concerned with permanence and possibly aging, though assailed and undone is the green upon the wall and sky, time and the trees stand there. Yeah, I just was... I don't know. I guess it, it just didn't. Like I said, I have I don't have much negative to say except that uh, I am. I mean, it's about a shadow. Like <laughs> it's about a tree. Well, shadow. maybe it pairs well. I don't think it's just like about a tree shadow. I think it's really in those last. The tree and the hour and the shadow no longer mingle. Right. Yeah. The burden of the scene is clasped against the eye. We see, <laughs> like, right. like, you know, like we can see the dying. Oh, the tree's dying? Not just the shadow. No, I, not necessarily. I interpreted this Though as... assailed and undone as the green. I interpreted this as like the trick of the eye, so that you see the tree and then you see the shadow of the tree. So it's replica, it's reflection, right? It's mingling on the walls and the door and the changing weather that changes it and you see the two separate right yeah that's what I mean so the division between what we see and then like the shadows cast from what we see that changes at least that's how I read it so it or maybe what it's actually saying is it allows us to see well I don't fucking know <laughs> that's what I mean, yeah, it's like oh, it's about a shadow, fucking right? Fucking like, no, dude. Time and the tree stand there. What yeah. is the burden of this scene? The tree and the changeless. hour. Yeah. The tree and the hour and the shadow no longer mingle. Fly free that burn together. Or maybe it's about a certain point in time when there is no shadows, right? When the sun's highest, it's directly above, creates little shadow. What was the other one you said? Oh, uh, the one that you had mentioned, Come Break With Time. Yeah. Come Break With Time. You who are lorded by a clock's chime so ill-afforded. If time is allayed, be not afraid. I shall break if I will. Break since you must. 
Time has its fill, sated with dust. Long the clock's hand burned like a brand. Take the rock's speed and earth's heavy measure. Let the buried seed drain out time's pleasure. Take time's decrees. Come cruel ease. Yeah, it's a good one. Again, perfectly tight. Yeah, I like this one. It's not... It's good. I have nothing, like, really bad to say about it. Again. Yeah, and I'm trying to separate in my head if I'm just bored with some of the instances, some of the points being made, or some of the larger things that are trying to be said. If not, maybe this was more impactful in, I guess, the 30s or whatever when it was published. And we hadn't been... Like, I hadn't been filled with this kind of, you know, like, the Ginsburg throw your throw your time pieces off of buildings, right? Like, kind of. And then, you know, break with time. Time controlling you. You know. Enjoy the leisure times, all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about the clock strikes, the chimes. Drain out time's pleasure. Take time's decrees. Come, cruel ease. Yeah, I read this as another death poem. Yeah. What do you think that? I mean, how else do you read Come Cruel Ease? Take Time's Decrees, Come Cruel Ease. Yeah, I mean, you I know... I read Cruel Ease as death. Yeah. Yeah, definitely could be death. I shall break if I will break since you must with time right time has its fill sated with dust death yeah i mean i guess i read a lot of them as death poems because i don't know how else to read them (laughs) could be again i like i said you know she's almost like She's one of those poem poets I read as like very smart. What do you mean? Like you can't, and that's not to say there aren't really smart poets who write relatively simpler poems, but I think her poems are complicated. I mean, like structure-wise, depth. Depth content. Yeah. Mostly language uh themes and symbolism break with time see an eternity yeah a lot of concern with time like very like in very broad ways like time capital t time the only other thing i had underlined was one line from that uh summer wish poem probably her longest poem yeah, this collection. one of the longest. Yeah, so yeah, that, I would say probably. That line on page fifty-seven at the top: "Clot up the bone of phrase with the black conflict." Clot up the bone of phrase with the black conflict. I was like, oh yeah. Underline that line. <laughs> so yeah. any, anything else you wanted to hit in section two? Um no. Section 3. 
I had a couple in this. Exhortation was the first one. I actually did double stars on that. The Sleeping Fury. Uh, and that was it. You like Exhortation because it says bastard in the first line. Uh, I don't know. Nah, there are some good lines here. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Give over seeking bastard joy, nor cast for fortune's sidelong look. Indifference can be your toy. The yeah. bitter heart can be your book. Its lesson torment never shook. Its lesson torment never shook. Yeah. I guess it's another one about heartbreak. Yeah, I mean, um, well, like there's the returning theme of passion. Read how through though passion sets in storm and grief so comfort and the young touch at the flint when it's warm. It is the dead we live among, the dead given motion and a tongue. The dead long trained to cruel sport and, <laughs> and the crude gossip of the grave. The dead who pass in motley sort, whom sun nor sufferance can save. Face them, they sneer, do not be brave. No once for all their snares set, even now be sure their trap is laid. And you will see your lifetime yet come to their terms your plans unmade and be belied and be betrayed. Yeah. No once for all their snare is set. Even now be sure their trap is laid and be betrayed. Exhortation. Give over seeking bastard joy nor cast for fortune's sidelong <laughs> look. Yeah. Indifference can be your toy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. The bitter heart can be your book. Yeah, it's all about the sort of, I mean, she's very broody. Though not necessarily in tone, but like in, in sort of what she talks about. She's like, a, kind of like a broody ass bitch. It's nice. Yeah, I enjoy it. This is a really good one. I'm glad you pulled it out. Because yeah, I didn't be my, really linger on this one. It might be my favorite. I put two stars just to like indicate to myself that this one was really good. Do not be brave. Yeah, I'm like surprised by those really short sentences right there. That's like three super short sentences making up one line, which... I think we very rarely see in this book. Right. Yeah. What's well, the whole thing? So the dead, long trained to cruel sport, and the crude gossip of the grave, the dead who pass in motley sort, whom sun nor sufferance can save. Face them, they sneer, do not be brave. God, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. So I wonder if she's like if she the dead in this is Maybe not necessarily dead people, but yeah. Those not passionate, those... I I think I read it more literally. 
But yeah, maybe you're maybe you're right. Yeah, or just like the dead and so yeah, the worthlessness of plans. Give over seeking bastard joy. Yeah. I didn't do enough um research on hypocrite swift. What's that? Um, that's another famous one. Oh, that's written in yeah. But um what oh, other ones? The only other one I marked here was the Sleeping Fury. Yeah, I think I marked that one too. You didn't mark um also marked henceforth from the mind. Yeah, the Sleeping Fury was Another one that surprised me. Yeah, the Sleeping Fury was good. And this is one of the few times where she has this divergence of um, rhyme. Even divergence from like set stanzas. So you alternate between like this kind of four, five, three line stanzas, much longer lines. Do you think this is about Rothke? <laughs> Page 78. You are here now, who wear so loud and feared, in a symbol before me, alone and asleep, and I at last look long upon you. And then basically goes to this description of sleeping, so your hair fallen on your cheek, no longer in the semblance yeah, of serpents. I... Yeah. I saw. I assumed this more as a portrait, just because it says, "You, my scourge, my sister, lie asleep like a child, who, after rage for an hour quiet, sleeps out its tears." Yeah, I took this one to be about the passions. What passions? Yeah. The passions, broadly, but I guess specifically rage. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of her longer ones, although still not super long. She doesn't really write long stuff. She uses the word scourge so much in this poem. One, two, three. Just three. But I mean, that's still kind of a lot. Yeah. Oh, nope. Four. Two in one sentence. Dropping the scourge when at last the scourged advances to meet it. You, when the hunted turns, no longer remain the hunter. Alone and strong in my peace, I look upon you and yours. Yeah. We had comparison to uh, Medusa here. No longer in the semblance of serpents. Right? Your hair falling on your cheek. No longer in the semblance of serpents. Lifted in the gale, your mouth that shrieked so, silent. Yeah. The sleeping fury. And now I may look upon you, having once met your eyes. You lie and sleep and forget me. Alone and strong in my peace, I look upon you and yours. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I took, I guess I take that more straightforwardly as being about rage. Sleeping for the experience, the experience after rage. Yeah, 
Is there anything else in section three? Man Alone, I think, is great. Yeah, we have a lot of rage in this section. Mm -hmm. It is yourself you seek. <clears throat> in a long rage, scanning through light and darkness, mirrors the page. Where should reflected be those eyes and that thick hair, that passionate look, that laughter? You should appear within the book or doubled, freed in the silvered glass into all bo other bodies yourself should pass. The glass does not dissolve. Like walls, the mirrors stand. The printed page gives back words by another hand. And your infatuate eye meets not itself below. Strangers lie in your arms as I lie now. Yeah. I think this one's about Rothke. <sighs> mm -mm. Not, not especially. I think this is about like human vanity. And also probably her own desire to find, like, I mean, this is one that, you know, you secretly read as the experience of the poet writing it, you know? It is yourself you seek. Yeah. In a long rage, scanning through light and darkness, mirrors the page. Or should reflected be those eyes and that thick hair. <laughs> think it's literally about seeing trying to see yourself in everything you read strangers lie in your arms as i lie now yeah it's clever as fuck yeah like i said i don't have much to say yeah, can make this a short one i'm gonna skip to like i mean we can sort of condense the last ones well section four we already talked is the section super fucking it's short, but it's also the one that I think is so drastic. It varies so widely from her previous stuff. In which ways? Like, how would you describe it? As, I mean, there are so many short poems. That. There's there very are short. Like, crazy short. Like, I, super short. The one in this one was Questions in a, Question in a Field. Was the one that I marked. And there's only a few poems in this fourth section here. This one gets bitchy. Yeah. <laughs> Several voices out of a cloud, too. I mean, that's the first one of the section. Yeah, which one? Uh, question in a field, page 97. Yeah. Pasture, stone wall, and steeple. What most perturbs the mind? The heart-rending homely people, or the horrible beautiful kind? <laughs> horrible beautiful kind yeah and it's like this this is so different from everything else she's done where we have this single sentence making up the entire poem it's only four lines long a single stanza and I mean even that you said several voices out of a cloud that's only two little stanzas two sentences three two, four I guess four sentences and it's just the two stanzas and I just thought like you know the rhyme is there in some of these I don't know I just thought she moved further away from what she was normally doing yeah. 
But I wonder if this is that period where she was heavily influenced by modernist stuff. Uh, there's a lot of epigraphs in this for the poems, uh, referencing works of art. Uh, there's variations on a sentence, references Thoreau's journal for an epigram. Yeah, I always enjoy variation on a sentence. <laughs> I mean, it's just sort of straightforward. Of white and tawny, black as ink, yellow and undefined, and pink, and piebald. There are doves, I think. And that's what I mean. It's Both kind and heard. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I think in this section we can see her kind of getting to that point where she's reaching for something. Like, she's trying to do mm. something other than, like, a typical what you would expect in a poem. She's looking, experimenting with these short things. And not just that, that one poem that's literally two lines, solitary observation brought back from a sojourn in hell. It's very minimalist. It's a joke. I mean... Yeah. Like, that's a joke of a poem. Uh, the crazy short one? Yeah, solitary observation brought back. Yeah. On. Yeah, at midnight tears run into your ears. My only note on that is yep. just garbage. Yeah, it just doesn't need to be there. Yeah, I don't like any of that. I think it's just... I mean, no doubt, like I said, no doubt she was searching for something. I mean, the limits, what can be pushed, what can be changed, what can be expanded. What are the boundaries of calling a poem a poem? Everybody refers to that Ezra Pound poem, which is also garbage. But I also don't think that poem would have ever been published on its own. I think it serves as like a kind of step away or a breath, you know, a break. Uh or I think those tend to, at least. Or they should. I think they're rarely ever things that get published standalone in a journal or something. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean... Yeah, I when just... during all this was she fucking Rithke? I wonder. Yeah. I don't know. It's just that annoyed me. Always annoys me. Was there anything in section four you thought? Because then in section five, we do seem uh, to go even further. I think she keeps continuing on that trend with these shorter poems, variations. Uh, she has longer lines. Was there anything in section five? Or four? Um, five, where is it? Six, I think, is where I have the most notes. Maybe because that's where the title poem is. Um, I, I mean, I largely like this section. Again, I talked about zone already. Like a ship, we have struck expected latitudes of the universe in March. But yeah, I think that's the only one I've really marked as being one that especially wowed me. I think Evening in the Sanitarium is interesting. Another sort of longer departure from the brief poems. 
Yeah, there were a few lines in that evening in the sanitarium that I liked. And that one was, was the subtitle was removed where they said it was imitated from Auden. Yeah. The sanatorium. Yeah, so a lot of playfulness here. Um, is this the section where we have the demon? Must I tell again in the words I know for the ears of men, the flesh, the blow? Must I show outright the bruise in the side, the halt in the night, and how death cried? Must I speak to the lot who little bore? It said, why not? It said once more. I mean, I think that's just about writing. Or is that the beginning? Is that? Yeah, no, that's toward the end of section five. Yeah. Yeah, song for the last act is one we hear a lot of. I have no great desire to read it right now. No, I didn't mark that one, but is that one of her famous? Yeah, I would say so. I think it is. I would say it was one that was maybe noteworthy when this book first came out. And I feel like now that I have your face by heart, something that... I recognize as like a known line, a fairly well-known line. But it also could be that I read it a bunch of times. Yeah. Because it is said a bunch of times in this poem. <laughs> yeah, the last poems that I would be interested... I mean, what are the last ones that... Um, I didn't really mark any in the last one. There was a few things I highlighted in March Twilight, but... March Twilight, I love. Yeah. March Twilight might be one of my favorite poems, period. And it's, again, one that I, like, always go back to to try to unpack. Again, March Twilight. We have this... We There's a lot of Twilight. A lot of March. <laughs> there's a lot of month and season and time of day. I think, typically, as references to times of one life's times of one's life not just as moments in nature this light is a lot is lost backward delight by hurt and by bias gained nothing we know about and all that we shan't have it is the light with which presages to the loser luck and cowardice to the brave the hour when the oldest and the newest thoughts begin Light shed for the most desperate and kindest embrace. A watcher in these new late beams might well see another face and look into time's eye as into a strange house for what lies within. Yeah, the first thing I highlighted was just this This light is lost backward. That was just good. I just marked it. And yeah, this thing with time, time's eye, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of play on just, like, the idea of twilight and semi-dark and, you know, the sun being below the horizon, right, lost backward. Right. I feel like I'm always untwisting what lost backward means. Yeah. Be describing twilight. I feel like that's, yeah. Right. 
Yeah, but how do you lose something backward? When the light goes, I guess it depends which way you're facing. So you could think of it literally in the sense of at twilight, one side the sun is, right, it's dark, and the other side is it's growing or going down, still light. My most experience was that was driving uh, through Kansas in the wintertime. And I was on the highway and it was like, it was going down, it was like twilight kind of, and like the sun was going down. And you could literally see behind you like darkness and in front of you like the steadiness, like the sun. Could be that. Yeah, and there's just a lot of sort of, oh, I fucking hate saying this word. There's a lot of like the juxtaposition between new and late. Right. The oldest and the newest thoughts begin. A watcher in these new late beams. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I'm always going back to it. And again, I'm always like, is this, you know, are we talking about end of winter, beginning of spring? There's a lot of March, so I don't like in poems that I always think maybe, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of March. Springtime, time changes. Uh, yeah. Springtime. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, this is one of those things where I'm like almost sick of this urge to unpack poems entirely, which is fun. Like, I enjoy doing it, you know? But. <sighs> The need for pure logic. Or to mean? understand every instance of beauty. You mean for March Twilight? Yeah, or just poetry generally. But we argue about this plenty. How much meaning is meaning? You know? Because, I mean, like, we've both read this once years ago, right? Picked it up, read it again probably spent I I definitely spent less time with it this reading than my first but how much does understanding each poem contribute to how much you like each poem well, I would say quite a lot right yeah I go back and forth on this so not understanding what you read means what it sometimes provokes me to reread right. or sometimes it's there because something complicated is happening and I need to read it again to understand it you know right. but there's a lot of Bogan I don't understand yet well this is always and my enjoy thing is nonetheless. the vagueness so a lot of poetry there are vague references to things and I don't think that's the issue with Bogan necessarily as, I don't know, I just find some of the things she's talking about to be more uninteresting. Yeah, there's a lot of abstraction in there. Yeah, death, love, all that. I don't know, I just, yeah, like I said, my problem with this wasn't so much uh, that it was bad, because it wasn't. My problem was that I am 
disinterested. Well, you heard it here, guys. You heard it here first. Louise Bogan. Andrew Whitstadt. Disinterested. <sighs> Not interested. God, I'm so bored. Right, yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> well, it's just hard, you know? But is it? Like, that's my whole... Like, is it that hard to not be bored? Like, I don't... I usually don't find it that difficult to... I don't know. I mean, I did latch on to what I thought was good in this. Like, I did mark those, go back to those. These, are, I think, are largely... Like, they're, you know... I mean, we talked about how there's a bitchiness. But there's also, like, this pretty quiet quality to a lot of it. What do you mean? Uh, like, they don't feel highly performative. They don't feel like they do a lot of exclamation. They don't feel especially boisterous or bouncy. I mean, that's not to say they aren't like in any way playful. But there's like a refined quietness. So, and I think, you know, theme can contribute to that too. Where you have a lot of nature and a lot of concern with time and a lot of concern with stillness and things that, you know, don't change. Yeah. The blue estuaries. Yeah. I mean, she was writing at a time where, you know, the big poets could still read your book and say, you know, they're not all that good. But there are some good nuggets in here. And I think that's true. And essentially, that's what Rithke said of her poems, and that's someone she ended up having an affair with. Yeah, I think that's true for everyone, though. Like, I mean, they're not all good, yeah. Yeah, it's true of every poet. True of every writer, probably. I mean, it is. Charles says true of every artist. Some stinkers. Anyway, welcome to the most boring episode of Heavy Bored. Yeah, it was pretty bored. Heavy and bored. Yeah, and I, and I had the least amount of notes on this as well. And yeah, being the second time I read it, like I said in the beginning, it's, I kind of feel the exact same way I felt about it reading it like six years ago seven years ago which is just yeah i maintain that i i became more and more invested in it as i went on but you know you don't have as much time to commit to just reading or i don't and i feel like a lot of my reading for this was concerned with just untwisting what was being said and I only succeeded at that in very few places. And it's not always going to be a clear, this is what, you know, this poem means, right? Like, we talk about that. There's a sense of, like, what this poem is about and the attitude toward that thing. And specific phrasings will, you know, mean something very specific and change how you read the poem. But there isn't always a clear one sentence, this is what this means. Yeah. 
Lou has two Aries. <laughs> Anything else? Or are we done? Not unless you want to... Uh, if you want to read the very last poem, it's a shorty. Part of those I don't th- have any notes on it. Wait, I me mean, neither. It's part of those three songs. Yeah. Oh yeah, I always forget that. So you see the last part and you're like, "That's fun." And I always forget because I don't like this first song. I always go, "Ugh." I don't really like that. I don't like the second one very much either. Psychiatrist song. I th- yeah, I mean, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I guess we don't have to go into that. Unless yeah. Want to. I mean, we could talk about Night. Night? Night is the title poem. Uh-oh. The cold remote islands and the blue estuaries. Where what breathes, breathes, the restless wind of the inlets, and what drinks, drinks, the incoming tide. Where shell and weed wait upon the salt wash of the sea, and the clear nights of stars swing their lights westward to set behind the land. Where the pulse clinging to the rocks renews itself forever. Where again on cloudless nights the water reflects the firmament's partial setting. Oh, remember in your narrowing dark hours that more things move than blood in the heart. I mean, yeah, that could be the thesis of this whole book. Oh, remember in your narrowing dark hours. I can see why this was the title poem, even though... I'm not usually a fan of poems that are so listy. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. works. Like, all her stuff. Where it's... what breathes, breathes. Where shell and weed. Where the pulse clinging to the rocks. Where again on cloudless nights. You know. Very listy. But it's fine. <clears throat> well, I like where... it. It's a good poem. Well, that's where I get to taste, because I'm just like, look, like, there's nothing wrong with these poems. Like, there's nothing I can point to. <laughs> That can be very much like, oh, well, it's not working because of this. Like, they all work. I'm just not that, I'm just not interested. Yeah. And I'll say this, I agree with you that as you got, as you move along in this, it does get better. Like, you get more invested. And I think, especially in the section four onward, where you start to see her searching for something artistic, like breaking the rules more all of that yeah i mean and she's a poem that you really have to dig into like emily dickinson like you have to spend a lot of time you know unpacking these super compressed poems yeah my problem is is like when you start to unpack them there i mean there are a lot but like there isn't that much not always, but they're, yeah. yeah. Some of them are right on point. Night is right on point. I think you're right. They mature over time, but yeah, some is hard, Some of them are hard to see. And, like, I don't always mind that, again. Like, I don't always require, like, a, a perfect aligning of all the meanings in a poem. 
I think that's okay. But I do think that it can become a frustration to readers. It can become tiring to readers, etc. That's where you start to lose steam in poetry. You have to be able to look up every now and again and just have like a fun poem, you know? Like not every not everything has to be quite so dense. Yeah, but again, I think density isn't so much my problem as it is just boring. Yeah, I get that. I think she was such a master of sound that I didn't feel especially bored. But there were moments where I was like, uh, I could skip this poem right. and no one would know. All right. Anything else on this? Did we cover it all? Oh, I mean, I like Bogan. Now I just am sort of thinking of, uh, you know, because you see most pictures of Bogan and you see most pictures of Ted Rithke. You just think of their bodies slapping together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you think of the couples fucking. Well, Sweaty slaps. Yeah, it's good shit. Yeah. Flapping. Hanging. Yeah, I'm sure they both smoked. Hair. Hairy. <laughs> the hair. Hairy, sweaty gut. Just flopping. Uh. <laughs> Fucking gross. <laughs> well, alright. Alright. So, reminder to listeners, uh, you can reach us at heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our Patreon. Receive full uncensored episodes for subscribers. Uh, Check out our YouTube channels. Uh, Links to everything that we talked about here in the books in the description, as well as next week's book, which we're doing, um, To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. We'll link that in the description as well. Uh, and our final reminder, we're looking for workshop horror stories. So if you have a workshop horror story, uh, we want to hear from you. Send it to heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that should be fun. And this has been Heavy Board. My name is Andrew Woodstock. I'm Sophie Wiener. I guess that's it. Bye.
shows such a lack Heavy. of gratitude for life. Forward. I, I aspire to board them, I should say. Forward. Has you the night sweats and the day sweats, pal? Pal, I do.